Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams, who's now back in South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we speak to a rising star in the English Premier League, Arsenal and Nigeria winger Alex Iwobi. He tells us about the season so far and what it's like working with manager Arsene Wenger.、Um, for me, I believe is the patience he has in him. That he's always patient with bringing through young talent. Cameroon's women's national team coach donates half of his Africa Women's Cup of Nations bonuses to charity. He tells us why. Everything. Is a lot. We have to keep on glorifying him because he created heaven and earth, and we cannot do anything without him. And your comments on whether increased video technology is good for the game, plus analysis on the English Premier League title race and relegation battle. Can Modu Barrow's Swansea City avoid the drop? Well, we start with an interview with a great African talent at Arsenal. Alex Iwobi is the nephew of Nigeria legend JJ Okocha, so you would automatically expect him to be talented. Well, Iwobi broke into the Arsenal first team last year, and he's had a great season so far for the Gunners, featuring regularly, and he's only 20 years old. With the Nigeria national team, he scored against Zambia in their opening game in the final stage of qualifying for the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Oluwashina Okaleji met up with Iwobi and first asked how the season's been so far for him at Arsenal.、Um, well, unfortunately, I picked up an injury, so I had my doubts if I was going to get back into the team. But the manager showed his faith in me, and when you're training with players that are world class, they help you and always give you advice on the pitch as well as off the pitch. So I guess playing with them makes it easier for me. Then you look at Arsene Wenger, 20 years at the club. As a youngster, you're one of the products of Arsenal Academy and all of that. Tell me more about that.、Um, well, to be brought up under Arsene Wenger is such an. I'm, I'm happy for myself. I'm, Like I feel like I've achieved one of my dreams to play for Arsenal, one of the biggest teams in the world, and for a manager such as Arsene Wenger to he's managed players like Henri Burkamp, world class players, going unbeaten in the season. I mean, it's, it's such an achievement for him, and I'm happy for him. What is it about this man? Everyone talks. He's a philosopher. He's a professor. He's a miser. He doesn't spend money. He doesn't. What is it about this man that makes him so special?、Um, for me, I believe is. The patience he has in him, that、like、he's always patient with bringing through young talent, patient with how we play, especially with football, building up our passing game and everything he does is just patient. So I think that's the key thing that I've learned from him that he's always a patient manager. Is he like a father? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. On, with football terms, yeah, he's like a father to me. Yeah. Rumors fly every time you hear stuff, and、um, you don't even pay attention to them. I understand. Now we understand you might extend your deal. How true is that? Um, well, the first time I heard about it was on social media. I don't know anything about it, and I'm telling the honest truth. I don't know about extending my deal now. You changed your number at the start of this season. People felt, "Oh no, we've gotten used to you using that number." How does that make you feel?、Um, unfortunately, I didn't really have a decision with the number change. Um, 45 is a youth team number, and the kit man said that you would have to change your number because you're more you're getting into the first team more. So he said you need a lower number. So then he gave me the options to choose between other numbers, but I thought since Alexis is going to seven, I'd like to start my own legacy with number seventeen. Does having number seventeen and knowing that now you're one of the senior squad members of Arsenal does that come with added pressure? 
Um, not at all. I, you, you don't really get judged for the number in your back. You normally get judged for how you perform on the pitch, and that's how I take it. I would like to show what I'm able to do on the pitch rather than my number. Now we look at Nigeria. You were looking forward to your first African Cup of Nations. That's not going to happen. How important is it for Nigeria to make it to the um, World Cup in Russia? I mean, we're such a big country, and we believe we can do well. And unfortunately, we we lost to Egypt, so we weren't able to qualify. So. To qualify for the World Cup is probably the biggest tournament in, for any country to be in and we would like to participate and be involved in that. As a young player, you go back to your club, you see the likes of Alexi Sanchez and all of them who's played at the World Cup. Does it play at the back of your mind knowing that, look, I could also join that exclusive club of players who have actually been to the World Cup? Well, for me, at such a young age, to even play for my national team, I'm still amazed. So to even make it to the World Cup will just be a great feeling to play against world-class players. That's Alex Iwobi of Arsenal and Nigeria speaking to Oluwashina Okaleji and what a future he has ahead of him. So, Stuart, how would you assess Iwobi's progress so far? You know, Alex Iwobi's done really well to get into the Arsenal team because he's not 21 until May and he's pretty well established in the first team squad. I mean, last season he had eight starts and he's already had eight Premier League starts this year and we're not halfway through the season. He scored three Premier League goals and he's also scored in the Champions League. Um, he's actually scored at both ends in the Champions League, but perhaps we'll um, draw a veil over the own goal. And, of course, he's playing regularly for Nigeria. He's been at Arsenal since he was 17. Now, interestingly, the last couple of months have been a bit difficult for him. He had he'd only had three starts and three short sub-appearances. But then, you know, we've talked about this so many times. A club like Arsenal has so many players to choose from. And, you know, we've seen Oxlade-Chamberlain. We've even seen Walcott uh, struggling to hold down regular places. Giroud is coming off the bench most weeks. So it's just life in the Premier League, sadly. Sure, but overall a good first half of the season for Alex Iwobi. Thanks, Stuart. Much more on the English Premier League coming later. But now to a story that hit the headlines in Cameroon. After the country hosted the Africa Women's Cup of Nations recently and finished runners-up, Cameroon's women's national team coach Carl Eno Ngachu donated half of his bonuses to charity. It's not the first time that he's doing so, and he's always said that it's the hand of God in his life that has made him what he is, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And Gno Ebai spoke to Ngachu in Yaoundé, and the coach first said that he didn't really want people to know about what he's been doing. I've been doing it for quite a long time, and I don't like to make people know what I'm doing. However, I just discovered that what I did was all over the world. But I'm quite happy, quite happy to also have the underprivileged. I think when you have something, it's always good to share. I always believe that when God gives me something, he knows why. I share the Almighty. That's why I always like to share. Without sharing, for me, it means you're selfish. Added to that, there are many poor people around the country around the world if you can do something to help them why not i think it's not a matter of having money i didn't have much but i believe by donating part of what i have would always be a privilege for me added to that i think uh, i will receive blessings because i believe what i've been doing what i've been having in my life is because of the almighty god i fear the lord and i just want to keep his commandment going on so that's the reason why i'm always ready to help others 
Coach, you've donated more than $20,000. It's not the first time that you're doing it. After every tournament, you always do it. What is it that has inspired you to do this? It's not always after the tournament. Even before the tournament, I do that. Each time I have money, I always do that. Not only to charity organization, even to churches. I have churches. At times, uh, I've done more than that. I've given my land for churches to be built. So I do that because of the fear of the Lord. Probably that is the reason why I've also been succeeding in my life. You've been talking a lot about God. What difference does Jesus make in your life? I cannot do anything without God. I'm born in a Christian home. <laughs> my sister is a pastor. The husband is a pastor. I've been a believer for quite a long time now. Since in college, I was interpreting the Bible. And until now, I've been doing the same thing. You, know, you must always put the Lord in front because He's Alpha and Omega. And uh, we can't do anything in life without always taking into consideration. The Lord, that's the reason why each time I have something, each time I've succeeded in my life, I always have to thank the Lord because... Um, Without him, I don't think uh, I'll be living today. Some of our friends are in the hospital. Some are also in the mortuary. So we just have to keep on thanking the Lord by such gestures because that's the only thing we can do on earth. I don't have millions. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a billionaire. I always think that even if I have a hundred fans, I have to share with those who don't have. We've seen this very often with you. Before every game, you pray with your team. After every game, you pray with your team. How important is your relationship with God in your career as a football coach? Even as a footballer, I couldn't do anything without the Lord. Added to that as a coach, I can never play without the Lord first. That's the reason why when I was appointed as the head coach of the national team, I tried by all possible means to inculcate these values on my players. I made them to know that if you want to succeed in life, God first. I think uh, they've been following up what I've been doing and they also share a lot. That's the reason why um, before games, during games, before meal, after meal, everything is the Lord. We have to keep on glorifying Him because He created heaven and earth and we cannot do anything without Him. Coach, what's your favorite Bible verse? Ask, it shall be given. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Well, that verse is found in the Bible in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. That's Carl Eno Ngachu, the coach of Cameroon's women's national football team, speaking there to Ngie Eno Ebai on his faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, this Sunday is Christmas Day and many people around the world will be celebrating the birth of Jesus. Uh, Solomon, what does Christmas mean to you? Well, Steve, uh, Christmas uh, means different things to different people. Many people see it from totally different perspective. And during the season of Christmas, people tend to use that period to do different things, sometimes based on culture, based on Christian denomination. So so it's, it's always uh, quite different. But for me, I remember growing up uh, in the city of Jos in northern Nigeria. And Christmas, being a Christian for me, uh, has always been about family, food, and church. <laughs> that's that's the, the that's what it is on on, on Christmas Day. Uh, first, we we do wake up in the morning, early morning, and our mom goes into the kitchen. She she gets up before us. We wish each other, her, her, you know, a merry Christmas, and uh, she goes cooking, and we're there uh, just observing. We begin to eat some of the. Christmas delicacies that have been put together by my mom uh, and afterwards we just eat a little bit of it then we go to church now we go to church and spend about two or three hours at church where we're wearing our new clothes everyone is looking 
very neat and clean and smart. Uh, you know, we celebrating, we singing, we dancing. Uh, you know, it's always been that way. And you meet people, wish them Merry Christmas. And also, as kids, one of the things we do actually is when whenever we tell an adult Merry Christmas, we get money from an adult. He puts his hand into his pocket and, and bring out a, a hundred naira or a two hundred naira and say, "Here's a Merry Christmas." Uh, you know, and we use that money to, you know, treat ourselves and give ourselves a treat. Uh, that's what we do. So we go back home and then we have uh, food and we discuss and be with families over uh, lunch and we eat different sort of delicacies. And meanwhile, one of the things I forgot also is we get a lot of uh, food from uh, different people, families from neighbors. They send uh, food in the morning uh, to families. You know, we exchange food. A lot of it is always rice and chicken. So we, we take it to to our neighbor's home and they also you know get their own meal uh, across the world so i thought that was uh, a really special uh, for christians you know christmas is about the birth of jesus christ there is a special savior emmanuel you know god with us god came to live with us god came to redeem us to him uh, through his son jesus who came who was born uh, through a special birth is actually the pillar of Christianity where Jesus came in and said a lot of things that were wrong, right? And that is uh, very crucial and very, very important. It's almost like, you know, football, when you look at it, sometimes we look at uh, football clubs or your life as a footballer or your life as an individual, how things are not going on well, how you need hope, how we need some sort of uh, direction. That's what he brought. He brought about hope. He brought about new direction. That was what Jesus brought. The birth of Jesus brought all that. And in life too, you know, we need to get to a place of hope, to a place of direction, to a place of restoration, uh, because every one of us, we do face challenges in life that we really want to face head on, that we really want answers to. Part of the meaning of Christmas. Thanks a lot, Solomon. I can just imagine you as a little boy in Nigeria wearing your new clothes for Christmas and eating your chicken and rice. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download it, to go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs too in our archive. Also, you can listen to the show on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Still to come on the show, we go to our 2016 archive and give you another chance to listen to part of our interview with Swansea City's Gambian winger Modu Barrow. Because of the way we train, we you know we play football on the ground, but we do with tempo, and you know the tempo you know is really quick if you compare it to where I was in Sweden or other places. Well, now we turn to Facebook and to WhatsApp, and we had a big response from all across Africa on last week's question, as we asked, "Are you in favour of video assistant referees?" History was made at the FIFA Club World Cup in Japan earlier this month as video assistance was used to support referees' decisions for the first time in a FIFA competition. Japanese side Kashima Antlers were awarded a penalty in the semi-finals and evidence was used to confirm that a Cristiano Ronaldo goal was not offside, also in the semi-finals, after the referee was shown a video replay. 
Well, this trial involved video assistant referees providing information to the main centre referee, and these include serious incidents, including goals, penalty decisions, direct red cards, and cases of mistaken identity. The technology could disturb the flow of play, but it will reduce wrong decisions. So we asked, "Are you in favour?" On Facebook first, and Fabrice Sibefe in Cameroon says, "I was not in favour of the video assistant referees, but after what happened in the Crystal Palace Hull game and the Arsenal against Everton and Manchester United against Crystal Palace matches, I'm in favour of it. The games and actions have become very fast for the referees to pick up some incidents in real time, so video assistants will help," says Fabrice. Thanks for that, and yes, there certainly were some contentious decisions. In those games that may well have been overruled if video evidence had been available, Lamana Lawrence Babangida is in Uganda. Good to hear from you, Lamana. And of course, it will delay the flow of play, says Lamana. And oftentimes, the referees will tend to rely on it, no matter how much it is needed for some incidents, thus making the game more boring or less interesting to viewers like us. But I seem to be in favour of it, only if it is used by referees for clarification on serious incidents, as you've mentioned. Suleiman Sonko in the Gambia says it's a good thing because referees are mere human beings. Therefore, anything that would help them in their officiating is a welcome development. We heard from Christian Lopez in California in the USA. Good to hear from you, Christian. He says yes, it may disrupt the game, but don't some players do that already? The sport is evolving. Players do take dives, and there are some cases of penalties that don't get called correctly. Now, with video technology, players will be more cautious. But Abli Osise in the Gambia disagrees. He says, "I'm indeed against it because I believe it kills the free-flowing movement of the game." On WhatsApp, we heard from Silas Ankiang Bomgong in Cameroon. He says, "I think this is a very good initiative. Video assistant referees will help to bring in more justice to the game of football." However, Silas adds a note of caution, saying, "Nonetheless, this technology will reduce the human nature of the game and render it more mechanical, taking away the fun of the game." Abdullahi Balde in the Gambia agrees. He says, "Yes, of course, I'm in favour because not so long ago I was watching Real Sociedad against Barcelona, and Real scored a clear goal which was incorrectly ruled out for offside. So I think it's a wise idea." Alimami Fofana in the Gambia is also in favour. Yes, that's a good idea, says Alimami. It'll even stop the clashes between the referees and the players because sometimes the referee will award a penalty for a foul, but if you watch the replay, there is no contact at all. Ishmael Saidu Kanu in Sierra Leone agrees. Also, he says yes, I'm in favour of such technology. Ishmael says this would lessen the burden on referees to make critical decisions, which might cause chaos on the pitch. Despite the delay in the flow of play, I think it's necessary for the game. They'll definitely add the time wasted during this process at the end of the match. But Khalifa Sanyang from the Gambia, currently studying in China, disagrees strongly. Absolutely not," says Khalifa. "I do not support that idea, and modern football does not need something like that." 
To Sierra Leone and Prince Louis makes an interesting point: reducing the mistakes will reduce the excitement, he says. And Donald in Cameroon agrees: I'm not in support of it, says Donald, because there wouldn't be any talking points, thereby making the game a little artificial. And Daniel in Ghana agrees: I'm absolutely not in favour of this technology. It takes the core values and the beauty of the game from us, the fans. It's an intense game, says Daniel, where. End-to-end action is taking place, so it'll be difficult to enjoy the game. FIFA, please take this technology back from where you found it. It won't help us, says Daniel. Odipo Morris in Kenya also agrees. The beauty of football is in the talking points and the human side of decisions leading to those talking points. Let's not spoil the fun, says Odipo. And from Zambia, Mwinga Mainbolwa says, "I'm not in favour at all. Technology will kill the beautiful game." Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. So great to hear from you. And sorry if we didn't get to read out yours, but、uh, as I said, we had a very big response on that topic. Well, let's go to the English Premier League now. A Stuart Weir is still with us. No games this weekend as it's Christmas, but eight matches on Monday. Then another full round of fixtures from Friday the thirtieth to Sunday the first of January, and then two games in three days for some teams, with another round starting on Monday the second of January. So it's always a very significant time in the title race.、Uh, Chelsea, six points clear after eleven wins in a row from seventeen games. We're still two matches to go to the halfway stage, Stuart. But、uh, many say that the team that's top at Christmas will win the league. How far true would you say that is? Well, I mean, frankly, Steve, I would rather have a six or seven point gap at the top of the table than not have it. So it must be a good thing to be top at Christmas. But I did a little research into this, and in the 24 years of the Premier League, the team that has been top at Christmas has been champions 12 times. So that's only a 50-50 record as to whether being top at Christmas means you will win it. But interestingly, in six of the last seven years. And in nine of the last twelve, the team top at Christmas has gone on to win. And if you're looking for another Roman, Chelsea have been top at Christmas four times, and each time they've gone on to win it. And incidentally, the only time that a team top at Christmas didn't make it into the top four was Aston Villa in 1999. So. I wouldn't read too much into this, but if you do read anything into it, it's certainly good news rather than bad for the team at the top. Okay, so no guarantee then, but Chelsea in the driving seat, and things were rather different for the Blues, weren't they? This time last year, it seems that Conte has really got Chelsea looking the finished article. And when you think back, exactly one year. This was the weekend when Jose Mourinho was sacked at Chelsea because Chelsea were five places from the bottom. How things have turned round in a year! Amazing. Better fortunes for Mourinho's new club, Manchester United, who seem to be picking up some good results at the moment. Now we've taken a big interest in Swansea City with listeners in the Gambia always following the fortunes of winger Modu Barrow, but Swansea is second from bottom with just three wins all season in 17 games. Not looking good for them, Stuart. They have conceded 18 goals in the past six away games, and it's difficult to see them surviving. And frankly, it's difficult to see their coach Bob Bradley. 
the American surviving. You know, they lost 3-0 at Middlesbrough. And Middlesbrough themselves were in the relegation zone before that. So it's not as if they're going to play at Arsenal or Chelsea and losing 3-0, but losing to fellow strugglers. And at the moment, Swansea simply don't look good enough. Uh, of course, Swansea is a team we've always taken an interest in because of Modo Barrow. But it seems that whatever Modo and his colleagues do up front, the Swansea defence is simply leaking so many goals that it's never going to make much of an impact. Now, the things that are happening at the bottom of the table are quite amazing because in six of the last seven sets of fixtures, the bottom club has won. And if you actually look at the results of the bottom club for the last seven weeks and the top club for the last seven weeks, and the bottom club has been either Sunderland or Swansea, and the top club could be Chelsea, Manchester City or Liverpool, the bottom clubs have actually got more points than the top clubs. So the team which was bottom has won six out of seven games and lost one, whereas the top club has won five and drawn two. Quite remarkable form, but it just illustrates what a dogfight it is at the bottom. With, I would say, Middlesbrough, Leicester, Burnley and Crystal Palace, as well as the current bottom three, Sunderland, Swansea and Hull, are in real danger of relegation. Well, some amazing statistics there. So picking up a few points over Christmas and New Year will really help teams in that relegation battle. Well, finally, on the show today, as we near the end of 2016, let's go to our archive. And I've picked out an interview with Swansea City's Gambian winger Modu Barrow, who we were talking about just now. Now, this interview gives a fascinating insight into life as an English Premier League player. Back in March, Stewart met up with Barrow, who became the first Gambian to play in the English Premier League when he joined Swansea in 2014. At the time of this interview, Ghana captain Andre Ayew was still with Swansea. He's now playing with West Ham. And Stuart asked what it's like playing with Andre Ayew. Yeah, he's a, he's a good player. You know, Everybody knows that uh, Ayew is a good player because he's intelligent. He, he knows where to be in the box to score the goals and uh, he works for the team. You know, And uh, he's a good guy, to be honest. You know, I talked to him, he talked to me, he gave me advice, you know. Like because he always, you know, he's he want me to play as much as possible. He want to help me because he know that I'm I'm young, but I'm a good player as well. So his strength is amazing. His qualities, you know, so he's a good guy. Some people have been surprised how many goals he's scored. You watch him training every day and so on. So are you surprised how well he's done? No, I'm not surprised, you know, because uh, like I say, he's an African player. Because you could see before in national team. And in France, you know, you can see that he have the quality to score goals because he's been in the game for long, you know. He's intelligent, so I'm not surprised because his football is intelligent. He just make it simple for himself and get where he can get the ball to score. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. People always love to know what the life of a footballer is like. So how many days in the week do you train? You know, like when we play Saturdays, we get Sunday off and Monday we back in and we play Saturday again. So we train like five five days, play one game in the weekend at six and one day off. So six days. And so what different things do you do in training? Yeah, we do a lot of different things, you know, depend to the opponent we are playing against. And uh, we focus a lot about how we play because we like to keep the ball on the ground. 
we like to keep the ball in the ground, play football and enjoying the way we are playing so we focus a lot about in uh, in that thing but uh, we do different things tactical and you know position we do a lot of position games because like i said before we like to keep the ball in the ground so we do different stuff and how much is fitness is it mainly just skills and preparing for games we do gym you know like twice in a week at the training and uh, fitness you know because of the way we train we you know we play football on the ground but we do with tempo and you know the tempo you know it's really quick if you compare it to where i was in sweden or other places it's really quick here you know you play against players that that are really intelligent so they know what to do before they get the ball so from there you can get your your fitness you know by running and chasing every time you know we do a, a lot of running sometimes, you know, with the, the fishers, like four runnings, quick ones, you know, long distance. So, There's a lot of money in the Premier League and there's a the new television contract. I mean, everyone likes to earn a lot of money, but, you know, I've I met one or two African players who said that they sometimes find it difficult that they have so much compared to what people back home have. Do you have any issues dealing with having the money you have? No, no. To be honest, you know, as a football player, you you sacrifice a lot. You know, you sacrifice a lot. You work hard every day. You know, God choose people, you know, and put something in them that will make them uh, get what they are working for. And uh, as a football player, you sacrifice a lot. You work hard every day. You know, if you think about my situation, living in Gambia, moved to Sweden, you know, training every day, even when it was snowing, I was outside running, you know. So sometimes, you you know, you deserve it, but you have to make sure that uh, you help the others, you know, that... uh, don't have food at home you know they don't they cannot afford it and uh, you cannot forget to help back home or your neighbor people that uh, don't have well really interesting stuff there an insight into life in the english premier league that's swansea city and gambia winger modu barrow talking to Stuart weir that interview recorded earlier this year Well, that's it for the show for this week. If you're maybe having a holiday or a break this Christmas time, uh, wish you a restful time. Uh, From me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Solomon Ashoms in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.